It's so good to be here on this campus with you. My name is John Vickers. You may know me from the announcement video. I do a little bit more at the church than that. I get to serve as the Next Generations pastor, which essentially means everyone from birth to college, at some point I'm involved in that ministry. So just like Ricky was talking about just a few minutes ago, this coming weekend, we do have a fall retreat that's happening over at Camp Baldwin. We'd ask that you'd be praying for our students. That'd be a really special weekend for them and that the gospel would be shared with them, that the Holy Spirit would, would convict, that we, they would become more like Jesus that weekend, okay? So Operation Christmas Child's kicking off today. Every year, that's something that we pack shoeboxes for. Our Perdido Key Campus is actually a drop-off location. In the coming weeks, you may hear us ask if you'd come help out and receive some of those boxes in DuBose Hall over there. It's a time where people just drop their boxes off. We get to pray with them for the kids who are going to be receiving those boxes. Through Compassion International, Jordan and I actually sponsor a child who has received Operation Christmas Child boxes for a couple years. And what Compassion International does is they come into these towns and these communities and they have Bible studies that and curriculum that's available to the kids. So it's not just a shoebox that's getting dropped off to them. It's really enabling ministry in those communities. Okay, so let's get into our time today in the scriptures. So today is entitled The Battle for Truth. We've been in a series called It's All About Jesus. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over to Colossians chapter 2. But before we get into our scriptures today, have you ever you know, stayed up kind of late at night, you've got the TV on, and the it gets to a point in time, I don't know if it still does this anymore, because I pretty much just watch Netflix if I do watch TV, but it used to get to a point where the TV programming would stop, and then paid programming would be on, right, which are infomercials, okay? So over time, I mean, man, these things would be hour-long programs, usually in front of a studio audience where the person is making a sale, and they had some really goofy guys selling these things, right? The one that I immediately go to in my mind is a guy named Billy Mays. He used to sell OxyClean, okay? Now, I've never actually purchased OxyClean in my life, but I remember how passionate Billy was about selling you this laundry detergent, okay? I didn't know you could get excited about doing the laundry, but this guy believed in it, and by about 30 minutes into it, you believed it too, okay? He was so excited about, man, he had a fishbowl he'd have out on a table. He'd get some some old baseball jersey that was all gross from the, from the field, and he'd just swish it around in this thing and hang it up, and then bam, it's clean and it's ready to go. And you were starting to think that, man, this soap can wash everything, including my sins, away by the time you're washing watching this show, okay? So Billy did a few things. He was a salesman, and there were a few strategies that he had. One, there had to be a problem that was addressed by his product. So the problem was that clothes are dirty, right? They needed to be clean. It had to have a mass appeal. Everybody needs to wash their clothes. It had to be unique. This was different because it cleaned so quickly. It had to offer instant gratification, and you don't want to wait a long time to see if something's working or not, right? If you go and you buy a product and you start to use it, you want to know that it's working and it's doing the thing that it's telling you to do. Now, I'm not advocating for OxyClean. I'm not telling you to go to the store and buy that. But I want to focus in on some of those sales tactics that Billy was using and how that relates to the spiritual world. There are a lot of people that are peddling a lot of things. And I use the word peddling because they're trying to sell you on something. 
And what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 2 is a battle for truth. And we have to know the places to look in the scriptures for where that truth is. All right? So if if you've got your Bible, you've got it open to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 15 together. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it, to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Can we pray together? God, I just pray that the rest of the time that we have together, Lord, would be honoring and glorifying to you, Lord, that we would be able to see these issues in this battle for truth that you give us through the Apostle Paul. God, I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds for the word that you have for us in this moment today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So these four ideas that we're going to be looking at today, we're going to be seeing them in the scripture, and they're not going to help you with laundry detergent, but they are going to help you with your spiritual issues. So first we see in verse 8, we see the confusion. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Paul is encouraging the people to look up and see philosophy and empty deceit. When I was preparing for our time together today, I kept trying to pull a difference in the scriptures between philosophy and empty deceit. I went through several commentaries looking for a way that those were separated, but those are mentioned together as a single idea. And the Apostle Paul is not someone who does not like philosophy. Paul was raised as a Pharisee. He was very intelligent. He's not saying that philosophy in and of itself is bad. But man, philosophy that leads to emptiness is worthless, right? Philosophy that leads to something of substance is valuable. But a lot of philosophy in the world leads to nothingness. I think that is very true, especially whenever we look into the scriptures and we see this idea of being taken captive. If we're being taken captive, this idea is not one of just being led astray, but one of being kidnapped away from the faith. Warren Wearsby notes that these captives are ignorant of the truths of the word of God and have become fascinated by philosophy and empty delusion of false teachers. Simply put, when a person does not know the doctrines of the Christian faith, he can be easily captured by false religions. The idea is that we're not grounded in the scriptures that God has given us. 
whenever we get into the scriptures, man, I hope that Bible reading is a part of your daily routine, that you are immersing yourself in the Word of God, because this is the revelation that He has given to us about who He is, about what His plan is, about the problem of sin, about how that is answered through the cross of Jesus. And man, this guides everything in life, ultimately. Again, it's not going to tell you what kind of laundry detergent to buy, but it is going to lead you in the way that you should be guiding your soul. If you're new with us, we believe that this is the inerrant word of God, that it is useful for every aspect of life, that it is sharper than a double-edged sword, and we believe that he's given us these words for a reason. And if we're not grounded, we're going to be led astray. There are so many different flavors of Christianity out in the world today, and we certainly don't claim to be the only ones that are preaching the Bible, but we are saying the ones that are true preach the Bible, preach the the word that God has given to us. In fact, Paul uses this word as to take captive. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Greek word because I'm going to butcher it and it's going to be distracting, but the word kind of sounds like the word synagogue. It sounds like the area that people would come for for religious nourishment. They would come together to be fed the word of God. And the word that Paul uses as empty deceit is that word. So we don't want to be taken captive by the enemy. Fundamental nature of knowledge, reality, and existence is what philosophy is. Philosophy can be a good thing if it's grounded in the right thing. So we have to make sure that we are bringing ourselves into the correct philosophy, which is based around the Son of God. Now, there is a lot of empty deceit in our world. There's a lot of empty promises that are made in the name of Jesus, okay? We, we just need to call this what it is. There are a lot of cults in the world. I just finished reading a book called Fantasyland by a guy named Kurt Anderson. He is not a believer, but he is an author, and he, I believe he's the president of Random House Publishing, and he's been a writer for time for about 30 years. So he is someone who's looked upon very highly when it comes to covering these kind of religious cults. And his conclusion is that most of these cults started out with some kind of, they they may have started out way in left field, but some of them have started out on the right direction and they have been led astray over time. And there we can see large denominations that show up that are leading not to the cross, but are leading to people and individuals as the answer. So Paul also talks about human traditions. Tradition in and of itself is not a bad thing, okay? Traditions are very good, and I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm not religious, I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay, that's great. You can be both. Can I tell you that? God is the originator of religion. If we go back into the Old Testament, we were to open up the Mosaic Law. Those are very religious rituals that are happening that God's giving to the people. God's telling them, this is how you should live. When the priests go in to make a sacrifice, this is what they're supposed to wear. These are the things that they're supposed to do. And it gets into kind of gruesome detail, and I don't want to really get into all of the uh, sacrifices today, but God is the originator of this religion. Now, when you remove God from that and you have these religious ideas, those are worthless. That's the philosophy and empty deceit that we were talking about. But whenever we are grounded, whenever we are focused on the gospel, whenever we are focused on Christ, 
it is all worth it. Those are all good things. What are some traditions that the scriptures tell us to do? We're going to observe one of those next week, which is communion. Whenever we pass the cup and we have the, the juice and the bread, and it's a representation of the body and blood of Jesus, that is a tradition that we observe. That is a good tradition. Baptism, which we're going to talk about more in depth in just a few minutes in the text, is a is a tradition that we observe. Those are both very good things, gathering together, loving one another. Those are traditions that we should hold because we are commanded to. We're told to confess our sins and we're told to repent. These are God-given traditions that are very good. So what are the human traditions? I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. I'm in my home group tonight, we're going to have some military families over to our house. We're really excited about having them. I love people that serve, into, in, that serve in the military. That, that's your disclaimer. Previous church that I served in, man, on Patriotic Sunday, it was packed out. On Patriotic Sunday, the huge American flag drops down from the ceiling. Everybody stands up. Their hearts are open. They are praising the American flag. And then as soon as we get into singing about the incarnate Christ, man, they, they sit down, they're crossing their arms, they're angry. Those are human traditions that are not taught in the scriptures. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being excited about our country or the freedom that we have. We, we should praise the Lord for that. But man, the number one thing is the cross of Jesus that's brought us from death to life, and that's eternal. Okay, So the, that's an example of a human tradition that can creep into the church. Human traditions can also bring us into legalism, the idea that we have to prove ourselves to God over and over again, that we have to behave in a certain way to earn God's approval, and that's not taught in the scriptures, because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he gets into the elemental spirits of the world. And for the Jews, this would have a twofold meaning. One would be the physical elements of the world. You can go back into ancient people groups and you can see them worshiping the sun god and the rain god and so on and so forth. And others would consider these things as supernatural beings, as demons, as angels. In fact, in Hebrews, there's a whole chapter dedicated to Jesus being greater than the angels, okay? So the idea that Paul is communicating to them is that we can be taken astray by things that sound good and that look good. And look, God created the sun. God created the rain. Those are things that we need, right? Those are things that are good. But whenever we take something and we get it out of order, we become just like the Gnostics that are attacking this church in Colossae. So... Whenever we elevate something, we realize that they fail in comparison to Christ. And what is there to gain from that? Maybe some good weather or the eternity of your soul. So one of the most serious errors of false teachers at Colossae was that they went about their spiritual lives with only natural insight. They did not go to God and learn of him, nor did they learn from the revelation of Christ that was available to them. That was a note from a guy named Douglas Moo, and I think the point that he's making is very good. We can't learn more about God apart from the things that he has told us about himself. We can't learn more about God by going to some other kind of ideology and making God fit into some kind of box that God was never designed to fit into right? Because he was the designer himself. There is not a philosophy that stands in the shadow of the cross. 
There's not a philosophy that stands in the shadow of the cross. There's confusion all around us today. Man, I'm telling y'all, that book that I've been reading over the past few weeks is so good because it gets into so many different ideas and concepts that are presented that people look for for fulfillment. And in every one of them, he talks about how they come up short. Every one of them, they come out wanting more. And the only thing that he can explain is how people find fulfillment in Jesus in a more traditional sense with the Bible, which brings us to verse 9. We see the true Christ, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So Paul gives this true and lasting antidote to false teaching. All fullness is in Christ. Why would we need anything else if all fullness is in Christ? And I think a lot of times we think that God should behave the way we think he should, which is a very small way to think about who God is, that, we, that he should behave the way that we do. But man, sometimes life hurts and we can be led astray by looking for ways to ease our pain whenever really the answer is the fullness in him who is the head of all rule and authority. A foundational doctrine that we need to understand today is that Jesus is God. Sometimes we talk about him as the son of God, and while that's certainly true, sometimes in our Western way of thinking, those are two different things. When Jesus came to the earth, man, we can get into Philippians chapter 2 where it talks about how he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing coming in the form of a human, and he lived a perfect sinless life, gave, gave his life for us. But Jesus is a part of the triune God. That is something that is inseparable. Jesus is God. So, man, when we think about that, when we understand who the true Christ is, we understand that God himself gave himself for us on the cross. And that unlocks something so new whenever we miss the deity of Jesus is that, man, he is the fullness of deity that dwells bodily. He is God and came and lived a life just like us. He is God in the flesh, and he gave himself for us. But if we go to the scriptures, we see the fullness of his deity. We see him as the head of all rule of authority, the true Christ as someone who is the example of how we should live. He's not just an example. He is God, and we can miss out on that in some of the ways that we talk about who Jesus is. He was the one who turned water into wine when he spoke. The wind and the waves obeyed him. Someone just touched the hem of his garment and he knew exactly who it was that he healed. A Roman centurion approached him and said, man, my servant at home and he's sick, but I know that if you just say the word, he'll be healed. And Jesus spoke the word and he was healed. This is the savior that we're talking about. Why should we worship the wind and the waves whenever we should be worshiping the one who speaks and they listen? And in his ultimate miracle, he rose from the dead after he was crucified in front of so many people. When we identify with Christ in faith, we experience the benefits of that lordship, which is freedom from these empty deceits, which is freedom from thinking that we're in control because we can understand that Christ is supreme and he is exclusive and the only way to the Father is through him. 
And if you are in Christ today, this is something that is not an element of the world. The one that we worship has not been created. Yet there's so many things in our life that we elevate to this point of lordship. I don't know what that is for you. But man, there are places that we can look for fulfillment that is something that he created and we sell ourselves short every single time. You've heard of fool's gold before. When I was young, we'd go over to the Explorium in Mobile and in the gift shop they had these little this canister that had some rocks in it. And man, one of them was, looked so much cooler than the others, and it was fool's gold. It looked like gold. It was probably a rock that was spray-painted somewhere and dropped in this thing, okay? So you'd go and you'd get this, and man, we're, as, as a kid, you're so excited about this, and then you get home and you realize that there's no value to it, okay? Because it's fool's gold. Anytime we choose the, to worship the creation instead of the creator, we're picking up fool's gold, and we're putting our value in something that has no value. N.T. Wright says that God intends to flood the lives of men and women and ultimately the whole creation with his love, power, and riches and that he has already begun to put this plan into effect through Christ by his spirit. Man, when we're in Christ, he impacts every area of our lives. Not just some of them. Definitely not just who you are on Sunday morning when you're at church or Wednesday night when you're at your Bible study or whatever the case may be. He impacts every aspect of your life, which leads us to see point number three, to see the radical change, to see the radical change. In verses 11 and 12, it says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, Paul is referencing circumcision, which was a way that the Old Testament believers would be able to be t- told apart from others who were not God-fearers. I can just sense celebration happening in the church of Colossae when they're understanding that they don't have to be circumcised as adults to follow Jesus, okay? He's saying, guys, this is something that is so much bigger than a simple sign. This is something that you are going to be able to see and not only in our behavior, but through the transformation of our souls and the way that we act. The people of Colossae are excited about this because they understand the real radical change that's happening whenever they humble themselves before an almighty God, are buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of our life. The idea is that we die to ourselves and that we raise a new creation. Ephesians 4 sheds a little bit more light on that. I'm going to read a few verses to you starting in verse 20, but that is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught about him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what this spiritual circumcision looks like, putting off the old self, living in the new self and the likeness of God. We see something so much more than a change of behavior. Man, I work with teenagers on a weekly basis, and sometimes when I talk to parents, they 
So it's almost like when parents come to see me, sometimes they feel like they're going to the principal's office at school, like, you know, little Johnny's done something bad at home. We've got to go talk to the youth guy. And that's never the case, I assure you. But sometimes parents will come and they'll say, hey, he's acting up, you know, what can you do? See if you can talk to him about it. That's not really the way this whole youth ministry thing works, but you know, hey, we'll try it. That's great. And a lot of times I'll talk to to the students. I'll just ask them some questions about their life. And really their behavior is usually not the cause of the whatever it is that they're doing. Okay. Now I'm not a parent. My first one is on the way. We'll be here uh, in about 10 weeks or so. I'm looking at my wife for confirmation for that. Okay. Yes. Ten, about 10 weeks. So it's totally different to pastor a teenager than to parent a teenager. I don't know how to parent a teenager. I don't have one. Okay. But we can work together. So a lot of times the teenager will come in, they'll talk about maybe some kind of issue that they're dealing with. That's really what their behavior is about. And it's not just about behavior modification. Whenever we are transformed by the gospel of Jesus, it impacts everything. Our outward behavior is just one way of that. But man, if you're here today and you're like, I don't know if I've been transformed really by the cross, we can look at fruits of the spirit in our life. Do you display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your life? Are you lacking one of those things? Man, if you are, you can pray and God will hear you and help you find where that is in your life. Sometimes too many people focus on the miraculous signs of, of Jesus and they look to ways that that can be seen in their life and they miss the biggest one of all which is that we're brought from death to life. And that's not something that ends when we die. That's something that is here for eternity. Man, I don't know about you, but I would much rather know where my eternal fate is going to be than for something to go my way one day and it be some kind of miracle that I think is in my life. For it is by grace we're saved through faith, not of ourselves. This is an extension of God's grace and his mercy to us. It's a powerful working of God who raised you from the dead, which shows us the power of the cross. So point four today, to see the power of the cross. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The power of the cross is the forgiveness of your sin. All right, we were talking about the miraculous a minute ago, and man, there's a time in Jesus' life where he was preaching in a house, and these guys brought their friend who was a paralytic to the house, and they dug a hole through the roof and lowered him down through the inside, and Jesus healed him, and he did two things. He healed him, and he forgave his sins. The only thing that the Pharisees couldn't understand is not that he healed him. Okay, great. We know that you can do that, but Jesus then forgives his sin, and man, they're back in the corner. They're talking to each other. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They're like, who can forgive sins but God himself? And Jesus is saying, exactly. You're just not connecting the dots yet. The power of the cross is the forgiveness of our sins. We are like the Colossians. We were dead in our trespasses, but we were made alive through what God has done on our behalf. Verse 14 shows a canceling of debt. 
And a record of debt is a reference to something like a receipt, right? And in the Old Testament, if someone had to borrow money, they would write it down. And this idea that is presented here is that Jesus takes that and he wipes it clean. The ancient scriptures in the Old Testament were all recorded on something called papyrus. It was this reed-like paper that they would write on. And when something was very limited, they didn't have, you couldn't just run down to Office Depot and pick up several reams of paper. But when it, whenever this was done and its purpose had been completed, you would wipe it clean. This is what Jesus does with our sin. He takes us and he wipes it clean. And so that papyrus can now be used for a new purpose. So whenever we accept Jesus, we are not only wiped clean, but we're also given a new purpose to go and make disciples. When someone was crucified, there would usually be a charge that was written above their head as they were hanging on the cross to remind the people of what it is that they had done. So when we think about Jesus being on the cross and we understand what Jesus is paying the price for here, your sin is written above his head. My sin is written above his head. Not literally, but figuratively, because that is the price that he is paying. Because remember, Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. And he gives his life so that we can be saved. It wouldn't be fair for a judge to look at someone who is clearly guilty and allow for them to go without any kind of, of repayment or punishment. But that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Instead of a guilty verdict being on us, he steps up and he pays that price for us. He's taken our debt and he paid the ultimate price for it. There's victory and the cross. And man, at first glance, on that day, Jesus being chosen by the people, they chose to release a prisoner named Barabbas. He was taken, he was arrested, he was beaten with a cat of nine tails. He had to carry his own cross all the way to the hill that he would be ultimately hung on. In that moment, it seemed like Satan had won, that the battle was over. Yet here we see the victory of the cross. In verse 15 it says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. When they thought everything was done, He's in the grave. Three days later, He was not there. He was alive. And He ascended into heaven after appearing to hundreds. So He put Satan into open shame in this moment. And I think a lot of times we give Satan too much credit. My wife and I were talking a little bit about how some people, anytime like a mic squeals or something, they're like, oh, there's Satan back there in the soundboard. People say that, okay? I, think, I don't think Satan cares about our sound equipment. I'm just going to be honest with you. But he is. what we know from him about Scripture is that he's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not everywhere. He doesn't know all the things. And there's a certain number of demons, and man, so Jerry Rankin is a guy that graduated from Mississippi College, that's where I graduated from. He wrote a book on spiritual warfare, and he says this, spiritual warfare is not so much about demon possession, territorial spirits, or generational bondage as it is to overcoming Satan's lies and deceits in your own life. We have given Satan some kind of credit thinking that he can just come in and just wreck our families for generations. 
whenever we lift up the power of the cross next to that, Satan pales into comparison every single time. Whenever we are saved by the blood of Jesus, it renders him him ineffective. Warren Wiersbe says that Satan cannot harm the believer who will not harm himself. And I think that really gets to the heart of the matter that whenever we're not seeking after the truth, when we're not seeing who God is, when we think that the rulers and authorities still have the power, we forget that Jesus has already triumphed over them. And no matter what we go through in our life, Jesus never says that we're not going to experience trouble. In fact, he says, in this life you will experience trouble. But he's right there with us every step of the way. And I know every person in this room right now has some, something going on in your life that you may not talk about, that your spouse may not even know about. You may have some kind of anxiety that you've not talked about that you're struggling with. And can I tell you that you can come to the cross today, that he's with you, that you're not alone, that there's power in the cross. If you're in Christ, you share in the victory of the cross. We don't need to worry about this empty deceit. We don't need to worry about the confusion in the world whenever we know what the truth is. So we can battle for that truth in our life. Let's pray together.